because it's fun. It's fun to do bad things. 24-7 Comedy Radio. I want to do horror stuff with my friend. The Green Room is brought to you today by Amazon. Click the Amazon link on SeanTGreen.com to support The Green Room today. And now, live from Silver Lake, California, the host of The Green Room, Sean Green! All right, everyone, welcome to The Green Room. We're doing it live here on SeanTGreen.com, presented by our good friends over at 247Comedy.com. Make sure you check them out. And, of course, as Logan said, we are sponsored by Amazon. You go to SeanTGreen.com, click that Amazon link, and the podcast gets a little slice of that Amazon magic. Logan, you're my left-hand man. You'll be doling out some magic here. What's happening, bro? Uh, well, moved in with my girlfriend, sort of. <laughs> I'm kind of in limbo. Uh, I don't know if you greenheads out there know or not. Depends yeah. on how much you listen, but Sean and I have been roommates for many years. Or yep. What, three or four years? Uh, yeah, it might be that long. I'm not sure exactly how long. But, uh, yeah, I moved down to Costa Mesa, and we were supposed to have our buddy Justin Decker move in. He applied. And the his application got denied. Yep, or it didn't get accepted. True story, so. guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, no. And that all happened at the end of the month, which left me kind of in a bad position because we got to find somebody who the landlord will approve of, and also has to live with you guys. They have to, you know, put up with. Lip- no, I'm kidding. Um, no, but you guys have to get along. It has to be a good fit, and they have to make enough money to make the landlord happy. Ay ay ay! That's what's going on <laughs> in my life. <laughs> All right, nice recap. I on have up. two right now. I live in two apartments. Good it's times. All right, this next girl. She only lives in one apartment, and it's on the West Hollywood area. The very lovely Heather Thompson. Heather, thanks for coming on. Hi, thank you for having me. No problem. Now, Heather, we've been uh, friends for a long time as well. Do you remember when was the first time we started hanging out? Because I was trying to think in my head. When I first met Heather Thompson, it's been a while, but when, in your mind, when did we start hanging out or when did we start seeing each other on the stand-up scene? Well, I have two memories of that. Uh, when we used to go to a place called the Haha, ha, is it called the Haha ha Cafe or the Haha ha Comedy Club? It was the Haha ha Comedy Club. Yep. Uh, or Haha ha Cafe, I think, yeah. but it is a comedy club. Yeah, it is a comedy club. Uh, we used to do an open mic there and I remember seeing you and Cornell there. And I yes. had two thoughts. How could two men so handsome be so funny? <laughs> um, although, to be said, there's such a thing as comedy pretty and open mic funny, and yeah. that's when um, you are funnier than all the other uh, bad amateurs in the room, yep. and you are slightly more handsome than all the other broken people who probably aren't very good looking, because <laughs> why would we be doing this sad profession? <laughs> and I would say that you guys were both open mic funny and comedy handsome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I like the uh, I like the qualifier there, the qualifier in front of there. Comedy handsome couldn't have just been regular handsome, but I oh, I appreciate yeah, regular your regular handsome. Too. I appreciate your candidness, Heather. Um, but we didn't. I I just think I tried to hold eye contact with you guys for a little too long for a couple months, and then mm-hmm. and I think we slowly started talking, and then I told a really embarrassing story one night on stage about. Uh, Getting emotional on a date and the guy thinking I was sexually abused. And you guys, that was just what took me in the fall. You were like, come back to the house, enjoy the That was some good stuff. Now, what was that? Um, I kind of remember the joke, but for people who aren't fully versed in the Heather Thompson stand-up quite yet, what was the uh, layout, the premise? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, I remember. I mean, it, sometimes my jokes, I don't even feel they're fair to call jokes. It's just sort of like I scream into the microphone a truth in an emotional state. <laughs> <laughs> People respond to it. Um, yeah. But they're kind of dicey because if the magic doesn't happen, then I am just screaming. Well, s- yeah, it is. Sometimes when you're doing really personal stuff like that, and especially, uh, yeah, your stuff, some of like, there's this fine line where, especially with you, I, I don't get it as much because, I don't know, whatever my onstage persona or how I am on stage, people don't feel sorry for me for the most part. Like, but yeah, when bad stuff happens to me, the audience just immediately thinks that's funny. Like, oh, that angry white male got what he deserved. Um, but you, you you come off very, you're just a very, like, um, yeah, you're just very... I don't know. People root for you, and they don't want to see you get hurt. And I think if when you talk about 
bad things happen to you sometimes, they're just like, oh my god, no, not Heather, she's so nice. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. I had no idea anyone was rooting for me. <laughs> we all are. Uh, From the audience's perspective. So wait, uh, tell that joke real quick or that... Okay, or that, so I haven't told that it truth. In, in so long. So let me just muddle my way through this. So basically, um, we're in bed. We're in bed. And okay, to preface, I was very exhausted. Hadn't got a lot of sleep. Always makes me a little emotional. And he was being <laughs> like really pushy. Like not pushy in a way where like people need to be worried and I'm in danger. But just sort of like... Like, we're at some bad high school scene from a Lifetime movie where he's like, if you love me, you do it. You know what I mean? Like, Come on, like, baby. won't stop whipping it out. And then finally, <laughs> I was so exhausted and sad. And I, this was, like, after a series of bad dates that I just started crying because I was just so... It was like a first date, too. Like, he did not need to be... It wasn't even a date. It was like, come over to my house to hang out. And I wasn't mature enough at that point to know that you're supposed to, like, meet in public first. Maybe he should buy you something. Yeah. Um, I was just like, a boy thinks I'm pretty. I don't know that that's happened before. So, anyway, so I started crying. And then he uh, took me in his arms. And I didn't know this at the time, but he'd been with a lot of strippers. So I think he was used to this scenario. Oh, my gosh. And he said to me, it's okay. Tell me what happened. Tell me oh, what my God. they did to you. Hey. <laughs> I think it was a group. And I was like, I'm not sexually abused. This is just my personality. <laughs> now that should be the that should be like the tagline to your uh, sitcom. Hey, I'm not. I haven't been abused. This is I'm just a sensitive person. I feel like that was some sort of version of his game too. Like he was continuing to try. Like hmm, maybe if I go this angle, yeah. it's okay, baby. Tell me what happened. And yeah, like, he was probably oh. trying to work the sensitive angle then when he when he realized the aggressive angle of as you described it, <laughs> continually whipping it out wasn't going to yeah. pay off. He just completely switched gears. Decided to go the sweet, sensitive uh, route. It's so funny when a guy's trying to fix you and he doesn't realize that he's the reason you're broken at the moment. <laughs> Do you get that a lot? Guys trying to fix what's going on and then it's basically like you're stressed out because of the relationship and then they're trying to fix you, but really it's the relationship? Yeah, that's you're bleeding me to an epiphany moment. Yeah, I think there have definitely been times where the guy wasn't necessarily treating me great and what I should have done is just been like, hey, I don't like what's happening. This is making me uncomfortable. Like, this either needs to change or, or I need to leave, you know, or we're not right for each other or whatever. But instead, I just cried because that's easier than being assertive. <laughs> and then, you know, sometimes I think they got a clue and other times they were just like, what's wrong with you? You're so emotional. And I'm like, well, when you scream at a person over nothing, sometimes yeah. they cry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so... Now, yeah, and then sometimes I think I've just let them think that. Like, I've just been like, fine. <laughs> I think it's my fault. Now, as a woman, do you ever intentionally use crying to kind of, as, I don't know, leverage in the relationship or things are going? What is it? Is it ever a conscious decision to cry? Give me a percentage of how many times that you think, oh, I this is a good escape pod, I'm going to cry, versus... <laughs> Honestly, being overwhelmed and just can't help it, and you cry in the situation in front of people. All right, so I can only answer uh, for me. Sure, obviously. you don't have to answer but for all women. What's funny is, <laughs> thanks for taking the pressure off. Sounds like a good um, answer's coming. I have cried so much when I didn't want to in life. Like, I've actually gotten better from like where I used to be. Like, now usually I can make it to my car or the bathroom before. <laughs> and it's not, it's not a quality in general I like about myself. Like, you kind of want to be able to keep that, you know, under wraps. So I have never willed myself to cry on purpose because unless I'm unless I'm on stage, unless I'm actually <laughs> in a play, because so much of my life has been like, don't cry, don't cry, that I couldn't imagine like adding on to it by the act of intentionally crying would is just off your radar. Yeah, like I'm gonna unintentionally cry in front of this person who's in my life enough times <laughs> without gilding that lily. Um, I might do like puppy dog eyes to get things like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I might not Have you ever, say... like, tried... You know, I'm not going to try so hard today to not to not cry. Oh, well, yeah, especially if I'm, like, on my own. Sometimes I'm, like... Oh. Sometimes <laughs> I just say, feel it, Heather. Just whatever you need to feel, just feel Like, some it. people, when they're on a diet, they have a cheat day. Do you have days where you're just like, hey, just don't hold back the waterworks. Come on. Today is Wednesday. This is my cry day. Let yeah. it all out. Yeah, no, I do, but I don't have a cry day. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I mean, anytime. I can't go out tonight. It's Friday. <laughs> it's Friday. But yeah, I do have times where I'm because sometimes I'm still figuring out feelings. But sometimes I think feelings get worse when you try to stuff them down. Like I think part of my issue with like crying when I don't want to is that you start to get that feeling of like, oh, sh- I'm not supposed to be crying, and that makes it worse. Or you get embarrassed that you're crying, so then you're crying because you're like, well. You know, everyone's going to be making yeah. fun of me now because I'm crying. And that makes you sadder. So um, sometimes I'm like, just, especially if I'm alone, just feel it. Just let the feeling wash over you. Realize it's not the end of the world, whatever it is. And then maybe you can move on. Or wallow. <laughs> <laughs> it's one or the other. What's the, what's the kind of silliest thing you've ever cried over in hindsight? Okay. So, um, so I don't know if I actually cried over this, but... I at least, I, I came close. Let's at least say that. I at least missed it. It was years and years ago, but I was in the express, it's, you know, self-checkout express thing, and I had, like, more than, you know, 12 or whatever, but not a ton more. And right. there was nobody at the grocery store that late at night, and a man, you know, yelled at me who was behind me and was like, you're not supposed to be in the express thing. And I didn't cry then, but I got to my car, and I just was like, why did people have to be so <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that enforced. I've never. I've heard people joke around about, yeah. oh my god, they definitely had more than uh, the thing. I've never seen anyone called out on it. And it is weird how there's not even any sort of. Um, yeah, there's no sort of policy as far as. You'd think it would be 15 items every grocery store, but I feel like grocery stores, each grocery store has its own policy on it. And now with the self checkout, the self checkout sounds like a great idea, but it seems like. Decent amount of times you end up having to have the person get called over. Maybe it's just me, but I, I feel like it's fairly common to have the person who is sitting there, either something isn't scanning right or whatever goes on, the person has to come over, end up scanning themselves, and it ends up costing more time. I used to say that, but now I feel like me and my pavilions have got it down. <laughs> Especially the whole bag thing. Like, if you put the bag in too early, it's like... What did you not pay for? <laughs> yes, it's like exactly. Bag. I think that's I think that's part of it. People just getting the quirks of the system. Yeah, there's that whole thing of like if you move it um, after you've already put it on the scale, it really hates that. Yeah, and you, when I buy my first item, I place it in the bag and then I lower it all at the same time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that the is that the little trick there? Yeah, so that it's registering the first item I bought in the bag all at the same time. It's brilliant. Nice. Yeah. Now, Heather, you're originally from Maine. Yes. Okay. Now, describe uh, describe your growing up. Would you <laughs> would you consider yourself? Now, I know I know your background, but yeah. how would you describe it to someone? If you're writing your first page in your autobiography, what would be on it? <laughs> there were a lot of Eggo waffles and a pony. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great you way to sum things up. <laughs> Yes. Now, this may cause every 14-year-old girl who's listening to the podcast to hate you, but how did you get a pony? How does one girl get a pony? Take a, I feel like that's that's like a, um, a 16-year-old boy having like a Mustang, but the girl equivalent is a pony. Yeah. Well, my mother uh, was re- is really into horses, and we had like a – not an actual farm in Maine because the only thing we farmed was hay – uh, but we had, like, a ton of land. We're, like, out in the boonies. That's, uh, that means rural for uh, TikTok. We were in the boonies. And so my mom wanted me to – my parents always wanted me, me to be part of their sports. And what they didn't realize is I'm not the kind of child that should move. But so anyway, my mom got – it was for, like, me and my brother, technically, so that we could ride with her. And her name was Molly. And she was adorable. And I didn't particularly love uh, horseback riding. I did like brushing her hair. I was sort of into it, but it's not all roses. Like, you got to muck their poop. And sometimes they... She kicked me in the butt once when I was trying to clean her with the hose. <laughs> like, it's not... The dark side of owning a pony. The dark side of pony, yeah. And then uh, Molly died. And we got Pebbles, who was, like, from the wrong side of the tracks. Like, it was $300. A pony is not supposed to be $300. And he was afraid of trash cans and used to throw me off of him all the time. Now, that's pretty dangerous, isn't it, getting thrown from a horse? Yeah, yeah. I know nothing about horses, but 
what is it? Just they're intentionally trying to kick you off because you rattled them, or what's the? Uh... I mean, usually it happens when they get scared, like they get spooked. Spooked is what we call it in the okay. in the business, um, in, the in the horse in the boonies. Yeah, uh, they get spooked by something, and they might take off running or start bucking. It's usually. I mean, if it was just because you're sitting on them, they probably would have been doing it more. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. What, um, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just fascinated. So it wasn't like, hey, mom and dad, I want a pony for Christmas. It was just the pony slowly got worked into your life. Yeah, it, it felt, all right, this is going to make. like, Heather, why didn't you go to polo practice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it, I have no pony, dad. <laughs> <laughs> It felt a little more forced on me than it was. Like, I was one of the few girls who could have, like, cared less. But it was like, my mom had a horse, and she wanted her children to do this activity with her. So I had a pony. And I did it with her for a while, but, um, I don't know. It's just it was smelly. You're a city girl at heart? Well, I'm at least a spa girl. <laughs> I'm, at least a, I'm at least a garden patio girl, you know what I mean? Yeah, nothing too rural. Now... <laughs> Your parents, um, besides forcing the pony hobby on you, were they, would you consider them strict growing up? Or were they kind of friend parents? Or were they taskmasters? Taskmasters? They, uh, they weren't necessarily friend parents. They were definitely like, they were definitely very protective and had high expectations. It would depend, like, so, like sometimes you wouldn't get in trouble for something. Like you could like spill, you know juice everywhere and mom would just be like that's okay you're my precious but like you could also leave a light on and dad could be like what's this light on you know? <laughs> um, oh that's just dad that's just in dad's <laughs> that's just dna a dad thing, yeah. yeah you can't help it you yeah. paid for this electricity <laughs> and kids are just literally <laughs> throwing it yeah. dads don't get enough credit for their fight against global warming like yes <laughs> that's true it so is right. partly yeah. um the waste of energy but dads are real you know i mean even back in the 60s dads were complaining about about leaving things on. Why the does the thermostat up two degrees? Yes, exactly. <laughs> they don't like the thermostat to be messed with. I mean, really, they're kind of ahead of their time, dads. I mean, you'd think it's the soccer moms holding hands, eating granola, singing kumbaya, but really, dads were kind of on the forefront of less energy. They don't like to see things get wasted. It's, you know, it's, a, it's basically part of a dad's nature. Now, what was, um, what was one thing that, like, you didn't strike me as a person who, like in high school, did you party a lot? You weren't you weren't a drinker, were you? No, I uh, I did do it a couple times. Like I had a few friends who were a little bit bad, and I didn't even drink at parties. It was just sort of like we snuck a little alcohol from the liquor cabinet just to try it. Yeah, I did get invited to a really cool party once. Like you know, the cool kids. Somebody decided I was oh, funny I enough that they should throw me a bone. <laughs> and, <laughs> it was literally like I remember one guy being like, "No, I swear she's cool. I've talked to her in private. Let's invite her." <laughs> And then I told my mom, and she goes, and this was in high school, this was sophomore year, and she goes, are there going to be boys at this party? And I'm, I've never been a good liar, so I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And she was like, I don't like it, you're not going. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't care for these uh, boys at said yeah. party. Yeah. What was, uh, so was there anything that like freaked your parents out? I mean, was there a point where, I don't know, it just seems like, um, yeah, you, you, weren't, you weren't very rebellious. No, I mean, like, I get mad at them sometimes because I think they got mad at me as a teenager, and sometimes I want to be like, I was so good. You had so little to worry about. Like, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it yeah, it just feels way. like a spectrum. Like, even if you are a really good kid, I feel like your parents will find things to bitch and moan about and get fired up about. Yeah. Well, you're always going to have issues when you got a teenager, usually, you know? like it's Yeah, some sort be. of control issue. Yeah. Now, how would you consider yourself in school? Were you... A nerdy type? <laughs> Guess, <Jonathan>. Jock? Yes. <laughs> Definitely Guess a joke. how many gold stars I had. <laughs> uh, let me guess, you you achieved in academia? <laughs> well, actually, I started out, I think I burned myself out in elementary school because I was... <laughs> <laughs> I've never I heard was, that. <laughs> I, was a, I burned myself <laughs> out in elementary school. I was a straight-A student, and I was very, very intense about it. And then, and I went to public school for elementary school, and then we lived in a town that didn't have a lot of money, so they were cutting all the arts, and, you know, I guess I wasn't being challenged, according to my parents, so they decided to send me to this private school for smart kids, and before they sent me, they said, now, Heather, don't expect to be the smartest kid in class anymore, and don't expect to get all A's anymore. 
And that was kind of like permission to slack off. Like, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't been given that permission. Because I definitely was not going to be one of the smartest kids anymore. uh, Because they were geniuses at this new place. But once I went there, I sort of became like a B-plus kind of gal, you know? Oh, okay. Like, I skimmed the reading, and I knew enough to make, like, a good comment in class about it. But I wasn't... wasn't So it was really that intense of a program? Um... I mean, the school? I mean, it's hard looking back on it now, but I know it was kind of like a little bit of a culture shock of like, oh, I'm smart. I'm not a genius. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, when you, like, I feel like I've always been just smart enough to be one of the slow ones and gifted and talented. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there is a weird, I feel like I'm in the same um, boat where I feel like I'm really smart, but I also recognize there's like a whole another level of smartness. Yeah. Like I'm really I'm smart enough to realize that nobody knows what the fuck they're talking about, and everyone is stupid. I'm smart enough to realize everyone's stupid, but also to realize that there are people that you know a good a chunk of the population that's smarter than me. Um, yeah, it is a weird thing. Like, I, there definitely is, the older you get, or just the more you see, there's just definitely something nice to being dumb. You just see dumb people, and they just don't seem like they have the same burden that smart people have. I feel like everyone I know who is really smart, or, yeah, just smart people, it's tough, I think, um... They're tortured souls. They see how bad... (laughs) Yeah, they just, or they just get up in their own head. Well, you know how I am, Sean, when I have to make a decision. I'm like, the variables, the variables. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's agony. Yeah, you're overwhelmed. I get it. <laughs> now, in high school, what was the plan post-high school? Like, when did you first start thinking, I want to do this, I want to do that? Do you remember early on? Like, what was your first job you wanted? Or what, what was your first – what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, for a little while, when I was five or six, I wanted to be a janitor because I liked cleaning things. Oh, nice. Um, and, then, and then it was sort of just went through weird things like a uh, writer sounded nice, first lady sounded nice. I always kind of <laughs> – wouldn't first lady be nice? Yes. I'd look great in a suit. Um, <laughs> I got a good wave. Um, I, I always That's all of, the requirements. Yeah. I always wanted to be an actress, sort of. Like, I would sort of bounce back and forth, and I did theater stuff. And then I was always kind of very indecisive about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I had dreams. They usually involved me being special in some way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Yes. It wasn't just like, oh, I think I'll work in human resources or be a dentist. It was like, I'll be a brilliant writer. Brilliant actress. What? So when you went off to college, what was the plan? What did you study? I actually ended up majoring in aesthetics and design. I went to a hippie school so you could make your own major. And the plan was actually to become an industrial designer. Don't you love the sound of that? I still wish I (laughs) did that job. It it just sounds good at a cocktail party. Now, Um, wait. Industrial (laughs) designer. Is that not an architect? Am I wrong? It's not the same as one. It's more like... um, or I might have become an interior designer, too, but I don't like the sound of that as much. But it just means, like, <laughs> you, just, you just design, like, anything from, like, a toothbrush to a table to jewelry. Like, it's so all-encompassing, but basically just, like, a professional yeah, it, designer. Sa- it sounds like this, you're going to be hunched over blueprints, cup of coffee, running, yeah. your, running your hand through your hair, and you're just, like, thinking constantly, <laughs> and just, I can't turn it off, my brilliance. But really, you're just going to be hunched over some computer with AutoCAD for eight hours a day, stressing yeah. out about that. And I kind of figured that out. Like, I was, uh, so I made that major partially because I didn't like the theater program at my school, and partially because I don't think I was ready to commit to showbiz. And then I was looking at grad schools to, to go do this, and I hate computers. I mean, the buttons never do what the buttons say they're going to do. And, they, and I was, like, seeing what it actually involved, and I was like, oh, no. And then in true theater nerd fashion, like, a couple nights later, I watched a Christopher Guest film and just started crying in the middle of it. <laughs> and, um, uh, no, wait, so you cry when you're happy, too? <laughs> well, I was having an epiphany. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Which one was it? Was it Spinal Tap? <laughs> uh, no, it was uh, it was the folk singer one. I don't remember the name right now. A uh, gust, uh, gust of wind, or something. Yeah, gust of wind. Yeah, mighty no, wind. I... A mighty wind. Yeah, sure mighty, mighty wind. wind. That's yeah. Right. So anyway, I turned to uh, my partner at the time, and I was like, I have to try. I have to try. And then I told my parents I'm not going to grad school, which they were actually very happy about. Or at least that's what they told me. And uh, then I moved to Hollywood. Here you are now, yeah. partner. What what, uh, what kind of partner was that? Oh. <laughs> partner 
I'm my girlfriend at the time. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah. now you're you're into guys now, yeah. right? Yeah. Now well, you... I'm, I, I'm persuadable. You know what I mean? You know me. You know me. Well, I, I know just... you, but it's an interview. <laughs> no, that's true. We that's can't true. just like... Sean, you know the yeah, no, the Sean. point of an interview is so that other people get to know you. I can't just sit here and tell every Heather Thompson story I know because I know a lot. I got I got to work them out of you. Now, okay, so you had a girlfriend then. When yeah. was your uh, first girlfriend? Uh, I was eighteen. Wow. So now your now your parents. When did they did they find out about the girlfriend? What was your family's take on finding out you had a girlfriend? Oh, well, I eventually told them, and they basically were like, "Yeah, we figured it out." Because uh, <laughs> you know, when you're slow dancing in the driveway when they're not looking, they catch on. <laughs> I guess we, we, the four of us had gone out to dinner because she was someone who'd been a good friend of mine forever, and then. Um, uh, and then my dad, we were, like, waiting for them at the car while they were paying the bill or something. And I guess we were slow dancing in the parking lot. And that was what tipped my dad off. <laughs> He's a wow. smart man. Smart man. Smart. That is funny. It's just, like, lesbian teens just, hey, we're going to scurry <laughs> off and slow dance in a parking lot. <laughs> we were very romantic. <laughs> I remember once, it was kind of our thing. We did it um, by the by this be, you know, like in rural Maine, there's like beach areas, and we we like pulled over the car and had the headlights on and the radio on. And we're just like slow dancing by the water, and, wow. then, and this cop came over to see what was going on. <laughs> oh, they have to be on mushrooms, right? <laughs> it was so awkward. And he eventually was like, oh, "Never mind, continue with your evening, ladies. <laughs> continue enjoying love." <laughs> All right, but now, did you have these uh, sort of feelings in high school? When was the what was it? Um, was it a particular change for this person, or was it just you got turned off by guys, or guys uh, are mean, always in the mix? I definitely turned off by guys. I mean, sometimes, especially in adolescence, boys aren't the nicest people. Surprise, yep. surprise. Sometimes um, we're dicks. Especially if you're fat and you cry easily and you're into fear. <laughs> um, you're just kind of, yeah, I mean, uh, you're, you're low-hanging fruit as far as adolescent <laughs> boys come to picking on people. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, so part of it was just sort of like a, like an angry, like, well, you don't want me, I don't want you. You know what I mean? And they didn't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no more Heather Thompson for you boys. Fine, <laughs> yeah. fine. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think, like, I think it was always something I was going to try. Like, I think I was always, like, sort of curious about it, like... Just the idea of a lesbian was fascinating to me. Like, yes. Well, I fits because I'm looking at you and you're yeah. imagining this life and you know dabbling in lesbian is a part of it. Like I'm an urban designer. <laughs> right. I have a great fresh cut flower section. I was um, so into Ani DeFranco in high school too. Like, oh man. What is that? Oh, <laughs> you voice. <laughs> okay, we're going to have some listening sessions after we're done. <laughs> Ani DeFranco. Let me just, can I allow to swear on this sure. podcast? Sure, cut loose. She has a lyric that I always keep with me that goes, My cunt is built like a wound that won't heal. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to sit in my room and sing that to myself when I was supposed to be doing homework. She's technically yeah. bisexual, but she's just sort of like, imagine like indigo girls, but like edgier. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was kind of like that. Like, Interesting. Yeah. So, like, a, a darker Indigo girl. Yeah. And she is genuinely very talented, like... No, yeah, I've heard yeah. her name bantied around. Yeah, but she definitely... I go like... to Lilith Fair from time to time. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of chicks there. Um, okay, so you, tell, you told your partner at the time, and then, obviously, it didn't work out with her. Eventually, you guys broke up. Did you have another girlfriend after that? No, I haven't even kissed a girl since her. Wow. Yeah, I kind of, I mean... Oh, first love. Yeah. Well, yeah. see, here's the thing about women. <laughs> um, you think boys are a handful, and then you start dating women. I actually used to get annoyed at her for being over-emotional. Like, we would have, like, talks about <laughs> problems. And I'm pretty verbal, so I would be like, well, that's how I feel. And yes. then she would just sort of sit there and sort of sigh and sort of look misty-eyed. and like. Not, you have to read them and go, no, what's wrong? Yeah, Nothing. Not, not come out with it. And I... I got low blood sugar. I'd be hungry. <laughs> Our fights would go so long. And I'd be like, are you going to spit it out or should I go get a snack? Like, <laughs> like, uh, I, you sound like, you definitely sound like the guy in that situation. I yeah. kinda, like, I was a girl, the girl in the sense that like, especially as the relationship went on, she got super bush. Like, I was the one in a dress. She paid. She carried my luggage. <laughs> like, you know, like, she was very, um, 
doting. But in terms of, like, just the sentimental stuff, like, she once got really mad at me because I was, like, watching the movie while we were fooling around, and I <laughs> forgot our anniversary, but I didn't realize we were celebrating <laughs> every week anniversaries. Like, wow. Yeah. Wait, every week anniversaries? <laughs> when we first got together, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> so, like... This is our three-week anniversary. I remember she... Remember it was a Monday. Yeah, it was actually, it was a Tuesday. And one night on the phone, she was like, what's tomorrow? And I was like, Tuesday. And she was like, no. And I was like, mail day. And she was like, no. Every day. Wait, your mail only comes on Tuesdays? (laughs) No, I don't know what that was about. That's rural. And then she was like, no. And then I go, real world night? (laughs) All valid valid answers. And she was like, it's all right, I'm first all right. So anyway... I was a great girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Was that, uh, yeah, that's a, uh, now you, I guess you got to feel what guys feel sometimes. It's a little, you know, yeah. Like you said, sometimes you're getting in a fight and you just want a sandwich. <laughs> you yeah. want to put the fight on hold for a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So you told your partner at the time I'm, you were originally planning on going to graduate school, correct? Yeah. And you decided, no, not for me. Where, Kind of what was your next move or what was your plan? Uh, I literally just moved to Hollywood with like two duffel bags and I was like... In a dream? In a dream, yeah. I didn't... I wasn't like enrolled in any school here. I certainly didn't have any job offers or know what I was doing. I was just sort of like, let's go where it is. (laughs) So you just come out to Hollywood. That I mean, that sounds pretty crazy. What, um... What was your first move when you got to town? What? So you just came to Hollywood, just said, "Hey, I'm going to be a star." Moved to Hollywood. <laughs> what next? Uh, well, I mean, I, I got a place and all that good stuff, and then yeah. uh, I picked up Backstage West, which I had read was the thing for actors, like the actual physical newspaper. Now you had never, up to this, give me your list of acting experience. It's too long. Um, I had done just about every community theater, uh, school, college play I could get my hands on. I mean, so I had a lot of rural, but I had a lot of boonies acting experience. Yes, exactly. But I didn't have, like, you know, knowledge about, like, acting for film or agents or managers or casting directors or just, like, all that jazz. Yes. So you actually had some... You had been working on the craft, so it wasn't yeah. like you were a complete novice when you came out here. Yeah. So you pick up Backstage West and then just start replying to ads? Yeah, I actually went to an audition for a, a sketch TV co- show. I think it was going to be called Static, and it was billed as the new In Living Color. And <laughs> I go, it's like the audition is like up in this tiny little back room that's like super hot on... Santa Monica Boulevard and that like theater district like by Vine and um, it is all African Americans and me okay and I go in I read for them I do a little improv and stand up which was ridiculous because I had no experience at the time but they liked me and I got a call the next day and they were like we're gonna put you in our pilot and I was like I can't believe people think Hollywood is hard (laughs) (laughs) and I remember I even like bumped into some actor was signing me up for my gym membership and he's like how's it going so far and I was like oh I got a pilot and he was like what and now I understand what that what was about, but at the time I was like, well, sucks to be you. <laughs> I guess you're not going to be on the new and living color. So uh, I was so excited. And then it was just this terrible drawn out thing where they kept on not shooting and not shooting. And then finally, after like two months, I met them on a street corner in downtown and I just moved here. So that was all very stressful. And we did like a, a weird little fake interview thing. And then they were like, can you do a sketch? We want you to do a sketch where you're a fat girl and it's an ad for a diet and everyone's going to yell at you. And that, and it's like, that's for the diet. And I was like, okay, you know, like I'm not going to say no to <laughs> yeah. work. And it was like the worst thing I ever did for my psyche. Like, it was just like, there was no script and I just showed up and it was just like, they just sat me on a couch in between two very aggressive men who shouted, your mama's so fat jokes at me. And they were like, so eat potato chips and ice cream at the same time and look like you hate yourself. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Now that required no acting, I'm sure, in that yeah. moment. Yeah. What, was it like a legit pilot or was it just they were calling it a pilot? And yeah, they were calling just... it a pilot, which was another thing I didn't know at the time. Like, uh, it was, they were not, how do you say aligned with any uh, TV channel <laughs> they were not funded nobody was interested they had not bought it they just had a camera 
Yeah, and when you when you come, so Keenan Ivory Wayans wasn't running this. <laughs> you yeah. didn't sign off on it yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, anyone can shoot a pilot, and you don't really realize. I mean, now I think you realize it more with like you know with everything on the internet and, and digital stuff. But even back in the day, people would be like, "Oh, hey, we're shooting a pilot," but there would really be no. Yeah, I mean, anyone can kind of just say, hey, we're shooting a pilot, and you can just shoot it, and yeah, it's a pilot, but if it's not for anyone or not for anything in particular, the odds are really stacked against you. I mean, the odds are stacked against you when a network orders a sitcom pilot, let alone just you shooting your own thing. (laughs) But yeah, no one has – if you weren't out in L.A. that long, you would have – you certainly would have no idea – so now, okay, that didn't go that well. When did you start uh, kind of getting into stand-up? I'd done stand-up once um, at the end of high school. We had these, like, senior projects we were supposed to do for the last month of school, and stand-up was part of mine. And I, I, didn't, even, I didn't even know open mics existed. Like, the first time I ever did stand-up was for a room full of 30 people in my school's library who just came out, and I just scribbled a bunch of things in a notepad. And it actually went very well. I wish somebody had recorded it. So, A, I could know that I'm not lying when it says it went very well, because that's how I remember it. And um, then I did it a few more times, like, but in the worst situations, like, people who'd seen that, that in the library, I'd be at a party, and they'd be like, do it again. And, of course, you know, that's not going to work out when you're just, like, Yes, exactly. Yeah, when you just gather everyone in the living room to see you do five minutes. So, um, <laughs> then I kind of gave it up. Like, I just didn't think about it. I went to college. I moved out here to be an actress. I really wasn't thinking about it. I did one stand-up class. When I first moved here. And the teacher didn't like me. What What was the stand-up class? I don't want to say her name because I'm a diplomat. But <laughs> it was like... Uh, we weren't each other's cup of tea. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she didn't know how to take this. And, and granted, I probably wasn't very funny at the time. But um, she, my realness, I think, scared her. <laughs> um, and then... So I was just sort of like, I guess this isn't for me. I was doing improv, groundlings, that kind of thing. And then my um, uncle pulled me aside, who'd seen me do a speech at a wedding, you know, the originator for most (laughs) stand-ups. He was like, why aren't you doing that? You're so funny, blah, blah, blah. And uh, that kind of pushed me to get back out. So I signed up for a new stand-up class and then kind of just started going to open mics every night. And that was it. It was sort of just like... Got the ball rolling. Yeah, exactly. And then and then I was addicted. <laughs> <laughs> You've been hooked ever since. Yeah. Now your style is you like to tell how would you describe it? You like to tell stories, very mm-hmm. very super honest stuff. Um, do you ever have any like do you ever have any moments where like uh, I shouldn't have shared that or I felt weird about sharing that? Oh, totally. There's two there's a couple of problems with sharing. One is that if the joke kills, I'm usually happy I shared. Yes. If it bombs, I feel like it's way worse than just a joke about like the news bombing because it's like not only did everyone not like your joke, but now they're like, You're a weirdo. Why <laughs> yeah. would you tell us that? Right. Well yeah, and yeah. it's usually something like if it's it's usually it's yeah, doing really personal stuff, it's just like you're – it's like in blackjack. You're doubling down because it's like you're already up on stage. You're already kind of putting yourself out there. But then you do something really personal and you're just like raising the stakes because like you said, if it goes well, then it goes really well and if, and it does really – and you can feel like, oh, this personal stuff I think takes comedy to a whole nother level or just more interesting stuff. But then like you said, you – and usually when you're sharing something like that, it's something you feel bad about or, you know, it's something funny. So it's usually some sort of bad situation. So you already kind of feel bad or dumb about it to begin with. And then you're like, oh, but it's funny in, in hindsight and I'll share it. And then, <laughs> and then you like basically go through that whole experience again. And then not only is it not funny, but then you're also like reliving – this bad idea, this bad thing that happened. And so now you feel way worse about that because not only was this like shitty thing that happened to you, but then it's also like attached to bombing. So it's just like, it makes it that much worse. That's totally true. And I find that if it gets a big laugh and even sometimes people come up and hug you, say something nice to you about, you know, that joke, that is actually healing for me. Like that's very like, Oh, we're not alone in the world. Humanity is all, we all feel (laughs) these things. But yeah, the reverse. Like, I don't tell that joke very much anymore at all about uh, crying in bed with that guy and him thinking I was abused just because it's, like, it's a little embarrassing at the time. It's kind of kind of maybe embarrassment on both our sides should be had. Um, 
<laughs> I don't think he's embarrassed. <laughs> no, he's probably said, moved on. I said should be happy. Oh, should be. Yes. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of things that guy should probably be doing. I'm just going to guess. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, it is sort of like, and now you're, there's sort of embarrassment uh, that the audience knows this about you. And <laughs> yeah, it, but you're very right about your analogy of doubling it down. Like, one of my realist jokes is about getting sitting down in the shower sad, and sometimes it totally bombs, and it makes the audience be like, oh, and, and I feel like the audience is looking at me like, why did you say that? And I want to look at them, and I want to be like, last night... That joke got me five hugs and an applause break. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I'd kind of rather win big or fail big, but it's right. not. You got Moxie, I don't know kid. why I'm torturing myself that way. No, because you're a stand-up comedian. That's, that's, <laughs> part of the, that's part of the game. It's the same way with uh, gambling on sports or any kind of thing. You like the rush. And then even when it goes wrong, even when it goes wrong, in a way, you really feel something. And so really feeling something kind of makes you feel alive and then also bombing is really powerful in a way because it drives you i mean the some of the times i've been most motivated uh, to do stand-up comedy well i mean initially there's like fuck comedy i never wanted to do it again but then (laughs) it is just kind of like that thing where you're like no i gotta go on stage and fix that like that in your head like the last set you do usually is how you feel about your Usually how you feel about yourself for a big part of it and how you feel about your stand-up comedy. So when you have like a bad set sitting in the last stand-up comedy, you know, basically your last set was a bad set. There is something gnawing at you to go out there and fix it. I think so. I don't know. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, sometimes I'm just sort of like, let me get under the covers. Um, Yeah. Well, initially, yeah, it it is kind of like, yeah, there can be sets where it turns you off. But I think eventually what gets you back is the idea that you want to fix that. You don't want that to be the last set you do or, you know, I mean, obviously it's not going to be the last set you do. But in your head, you're rationalizing. It's like, nah, I I can do better than that. Yeah, I think there is. That's one of the things that keeps me going is you kind of you never know how good you could get with stand up. Like, almost everybody improves as they keep doing it, and I'm certainly a very different comedian than I was six years ago. But I think that's part of the dream, is you're kind of like, well, right now I'm pretty good. Maybe someday I'll be phenomenal. And you might just always be pretty good, but yeah. that's kind of like... That's what I tell myself. <laughs> it's my daily affirmation. Yeah. You might just always be pretty good. <laughs> Something you can live with. It's not setting the bar too high. You don't want to come crashing down. <laughs> All right, we could talk about stand-up comedy all day, but um, you, do you see the debates, Heather? Do you consider yourself a big political person? You're laughing. <laughs> can I can I reveal something embarrassing? Sure. And we'll hope it doesn't bomb. Um, so the debate. It's for- tough to bomb on a podcast. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm you trying can- to get you and Logan on my side. <laughs> you can you can bomb in the room, but you know we'll just blow through it, and maybe someone at home will laugh. So the debates were on, and I was aware of this, and I sat down with my dinner, because that's how I eat with the TV, and I ended up watching Twins with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, like, like just a half an hour of it, because I was getting ready to go to a show that night, but I remember being like, wow, you're really making a statement about who you are. You're not only not watching the debates, but you're actually watching TV while they're on and not watching them, and you're watching a ridiculously bad, frivolous movie from the 80s with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, when Arnold Schwarzenegger... Um, it was like uh, now he has this like tell-all book that came out, and the headline read Arnold Schwarzenegger reveals steamy uh, onset affair. And my first thing was like, God, please let it be Danny DeVito. Like, <laughs> I knew it wasn't. Obviously, it's a joke, but just the idea of well, Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger together is just hot. You know, rib- DeVito's a power bottom. <laughs> Takes oh one to God. know one. <laughs> Oh, my God. Danny DeVito with Arnold Schwarzenegger is hilarious. Yeah, now he's releasing – I don't know if you guys saw this, but he's putting out a biography, Arnold Schwarzenegger. First off, I love how he can't help himself. Like, he can't help – he has no self-control, obviously, when it comes to women or whatever, but – um. He his book is called Total Recall. And it's, like, <laughs> to, it's like Total Recall, uh, a bunch of lies I'm trying to not tell. And he, they were like asking him about how his wife. Uh, Even the title of his memoir yeah, no, is a pun. Well, exactly. And every 
He apologized kind of to his wife, and then they were like, oh, are you still really – basically he was, he came out with a statement saying he's not – He's he's not going to beat himself up anymore over the way, <laughs> over his marriage and yeah you can just live with it your entire life or you can move on and he's choosing to move on it was just like why would you put that out? you just come off so hilariously insensitive and he is such a sociopath on so many levels he had open heart surgery but he didn't want to tell his wife about it so he just went and had surgery in Mexico for four days and said he was, like, filming something or was on location for a few days and then just had the surgery down there. And the surgeon was like, are you crazy? You're going to have a giant scar in your chest. Your wife's going to find out about this. He's like, no, he's not. And he just, like, he's just, yeah, it just sounds like he is just a crazy sociopath in that sense. I don't know. But she didn't but find out, right? As a woman, Until... there are certain men, or at least for me, that I'm like, I don't want to be alone in a room with him. Like, that's just sort of the reaction I have. And Arnold is one of those men where I'm like, I don't want to be alone in a room with him. <laughs> Wait, you're afraid he's just going to be like, I don't flatter myself per se that I'm his cup of tea, but there's just certain guys that you're like, I just don't feel good about you. Well, and, and um, yeah, like I said, you not in the picture at all. Arnold does seem to cast a wide net. Like it seems. <laughs> I mean, when you when you start hooking up with the maid. Oh, and the other thing that was great about the maid. I mean, besides that, the kid totally looks like Arnold. Like, have you seen him? He just looks like a Mexican. Like he just looks like yeah. Arnold, but like a little bit more Mexican. But he's got like that the same like gap teeth and looks. Yeah. He looks so much like his dad. It's hilarious. And I guess that's how Maria found out. Finally, she was like, did you have sex with the maid and Foster's <laughs> child? And finally, he just goes, yes. I saw in an interview he said no the first time. Like, she asked him a couple of times. And well, she was like, oh, okay. And then they kept working for him. Yeah, I guess eventually she – I mean, this is like 10 years down the line in marriage counseling, They she asked. Hey, here's the other thing. So the maid has his kid, and him and the maid never talk about it. Never acknowledges it, that this is his kid or whatever. Just eventually one day he said that he realized the kid looked like him, so he just started sending her more money for the kid (laughs) and just never talked about it. That's just this crazy level of denial. Honestly, I get jealous of guys like that, guys who can just kind of live in that world and not have – like to just lie to yourself that much and to the rest of the world and just not have it bother you. It's insane. And in a way, I'm jealous. Like I, I, could, I wish I could just live in that reality. I also like the just the idea of a guy who dreams of being a bodybuilder. Like I feel like that's just, especially when bo- I don't know if bodybuilding was ever popular, but just the idea that like yes, that's what I want to be. I want to be a bodybuilder, and the fact that he was the governor of California, like. I feel like not enough jokes have been made about him. I mean, obviously there was a ton, and you know, starting comedy while he was the governor was not a great time in the open mic community. But <laughs> I feel like not enough was made the fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger was our governor. He's obviously just not an intelligent man, <laughs> has no idea what's going on, and still that didn't slow anyone down from voting for him. He's running against. Uh... Like strippers and uh, well, they did that. Yeah, they did that recall election, and then it just turned into a total cavalcade of everyone was doing it for publicity because it was basically like another open election. So everyone just threw their name in the hat, and uh, so compared to all the like C listers, he was like, "Oh, I know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is. (laughs) Exactly for him." I imagine for all the real politicians who, like, aren't glamorous but have been, like, working forever and, you know, could have done a decent job, it's, like, the same level of frustration we might have if, like, some dancer, like, showed up and was like, I want to try stand-up and just, like, happened to be, like, at a show some night and somebody saw her and was like, oh, let's put her on, let's put her on late night. Let's put her on the Tonight Show. And she, like, went into the Tonight Show and the rest of us are sitting around and we're like, you know, we've been here for 20 years yep. trying to figure out. No, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's some politician out there who really wants to murder Arnold Schwarzenegger. But I feel like if you're a politician, you kind of resign. (laughs) I feel like if you're a politician, similar jawline, I feel like if you're a politician, (laughs) you have to realize that it's all bullshit. And then that, I mean, 
feel like you're kind of already buying into that, so you can't be that upset that someone... It's a popularity contest, so obviously the most popular guy is going to win. You you understand that. That's why you are, you know, throwing yourself into the popularity contest. Because you want to be popular. Anyway, Mitt Romney, Barack Obama going at it in the debates. It seemed like... Um, I don't know, I watched it a little bit. It seemed like Mitt Romney won, though. I mean, it seemed like he did... He was like aggressive, kind of assertive, seemed to seemed to kind of call out Obama on some stuff. I don't know. And, and I love how everyone does the, well, you know, they were lying about all these different things. Like they do the fact-checking post-debate. It's like, yes, obviously. But it's a debate. That's what Obama's there to say. He's, he needs to speak up. And people complain like, oh, it was a boring uh, debate or nothing really happened. But – I feel like that debates are the same thing like the Oscars and the Emmys. For the most part, everyone's like, oh, yeah, did you, hey, let's watch this. And then you watch it and it's just like, oh, this is really is unsatisfying. Like it's yeah. kind of, I don't know, maybe, Adam, maybe fun, you're a though, huge it. Oscar fan. Oh, I'm a huge Oscar fan. I mean, that's, that's a time when I cry, but only because I'm picturing my acceptance speech. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the debate, I kind of knew they would frustrate me if I watched them. Like I don't think there's... I mean, I plan on voting for Obama, and I don't see that changing short of, like, him doing something horrific. Um, Describe a scenario where you would no longer root for uh, or vote for Barack Obama. I guess if he, like, publicly raped some 15-year-old <laughs> girls or something. But of age girls, we're still all right? Are you going to have to think about it? I was just trying to make it, like, as terrible as possible. Um yeah, it would have to be something, like, really dramatic for me to be like, okay, well, I don't agree with Romney on anything, but, you know, uh, he's not raping <laughs> children. So. Like, it would have to be like he was involved in, like, a sex slavery prostitution ring or something, you know, crazy like that Yeah, for me to be well, like... Well, the, the sad part is um, Ron Paul still wouldn't get many votes. <laughs> or he's, I guess he's out of it because he... Was running as a Republican, uh, Republican nominee, but yeah, he'd still be sitting off to the side, just like, man, I thought this was my year. <laughs> you know, Obama's running some sex slave <laughs> operation. I thought I'd be able to get in a little bit there. Still, no luck. So, did you feel like Romney did a good job? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, a good job is all relative, but I felt like he probably won the debate. Like he was more kind of assertive. Obama didn't have a good outing, just as far as his public speaking, which I think is a bad sign. Because yeah, I thought that was something he was real good. It seemed at. like that was his strength: is just yeah. going up there and being real smooth and maybe, being very comfortable. Maybe he was like too confident because I feel like you know Romney's had before the debate a whole bunch of not so great stuff happen, and Obama's yep. been doing a bit better. He got so cocky, rested yeah, on his yeah, laurels. Maybe he just started, maybe he just didn't need to study. You know, started looking ahead. <laughs> I um, yeah, for the most part. I, I thought he's done an all right job, Obama. The one thing that really bothered me was when he appeared in a promo for Lopez tonight. That that really <laughs> the understanding. I understand pandering to the Latino vote, but showing up in a promo. Okay, I understand being on a show. Okay, fine as a guest, but to just show up and tell tell the American people to watch Lopez tonight, and it's canceled. It got canceled. <laughs> yeah. You can't. You can't throw yourself behind a late night show that's gonna get canceled. You I can mean, do Jay Leno yeah. and David Letterman. That's fine. I, I don't want you. Uh, Jimmy Fallon even was a stretch to me. If you're gonna do a late night, sh- the president is on a show that started after midnight. I feel like he's a little too star fuckery for me. That's that's kind of annoying. Some of his other stuff, uh, some with the economy. Uh, I don't know. And, and Obamacare. It, it seems like a good idea on paper, and uh, I'm. I'm for the idea in general, but it also seems like it could be a huge headache. I don't know. What do I know? Just some regular schlub. Just some regular <laughs> middle-class American that uh, I do like. <laughs> I think part of Obama's problem was he kept pointing out that Romney came up with the plan in the first place for Obamacare. And what? it's modeled after Romney's Massachusetts healthcare thing. And I think he was saying that to make Romney look like, oh, how do you disagree with me? I'm basing my thing on your plan. Yeah, but I feel like if you do, if you didn't know that in the first place, you might think like, "Oh, that Romney came up with that! Wow, he's really smart." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess if people are huge fans of Obamacare, they're like, "Wait, Romney was the architect behind this thing? Like, I should vote for that guy. He's coming up with plans." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Obama's just stealing plans. He can't even think up yeah. a way to he's socialize medicine. His, he stole up his biggest thing from Romney himself. 
All right, guys. Well, to wrap things up, I have a real treat. I uh, recently recorded a segment with our movie reviewer on the show, Stud Manley. Heather, I think you're uh, familiar with Stud Manley's work, but he he does the movie reviewing on the program. So I am going to. <laughs> she doesn't throw... look familiar. I just got to say for the audience, I'm going to throw it over to Stud Manley with some movie reviews. I'd like to welcome on the program. Our uh, world-famous movie reviewer, Mr. Stud Manley. Stud, how's it going? Oh, it's going just wonderful. How's everything with you, Sean? Good, Stud. A long time no talk. What have you been up to? Oh, uh, not a whole lot. Uh, yes, it has been a while. It was June of last year, to be uh, to be exact. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was very busy. <laughs> All right. So I know you've uh, – I'm sure you've seen a lot of movies in the past year and uh, past uh, – wow, it's been a while since we had you on. Glad we could have you on. I'm sure there, you have a lot, a lot of a uh, cinema talk to lay on the listeners of the green room. What do you want to first get into? What what movie? What burning issue do you have to talk about today? Well, Sean, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, there is one uh, burning issue that I want to discuss, and uh, this is something I'm uh, sure that you're familiar with, and your sophisticated fans, the uh, green room show fans, are quite sophisticated, and I'm sure. You've all seen the video of those uh, two young boys who saw The Odd Life of Timothy Green. It was on YouTube. Yes. And they yep. were big member. hit. And uh, for people who don't, aren't aware of what the movie is, it's I'm not sure what the movie's about. I, Of course, I wouldn't see it. But it's, a, I don't know, some kind of a tree fairy or something like that that has leaves all over them or something like that, and a feminine child or something. And these young boys... <laughs> Uh, they saw the movie, and then after the movie, they were crying, and they were, you know, acting very sissy-like, and their parents videotaped it. And that disturbed me uh, greatly, as I'm sure it disturbed you, Sean. You uh, you had aspirations to being a football player, just like myself. You wanted to be a yes. backup tight end. I wanted to be a middle linebacker for the Cowboys. <laughs> and, you know, and I think a movie like this is not good for young boys to see. I think it's making our young boys effeminate and sissy. I think it's okay <laughs> if little girls see a movie like this because, you know, they're basically ridiculous and silly anyway. Yeah, so exactly. Know, so that's I wanted to do a little sociolog uh, sociological study after, uh, after seeing that YouTube video. So what I did is I went to the theaters that were showing The Odd Life of Timothy Green or this other movie, The Oogle Lovies and The Big Balloon Adventure, which is pretty uh, another pretty ridiculous film. And what I would do, I would approach young boys that were going in to see the movie, and I would ask them, you know, little boys, three years old, maybe up to before they started reaching puberty, you know, so I couldn't talk to Mexicans. It's hard to tell with them since they're born with a face hurt. But I would ask these uh, young boys, I'd say, when you get to be a man, would you be interested in being a middle linebacker or a tight end for a professional football team? And, you know, and almost every one of those young boys, Sean, said, yes, they would like to do that. That would. Oh, wow. That's, that sounds great. I mean, there was one I think he might have been mentally challenged. But <laughs> for the most part, they all said, yes, they would love to do it. So then what I would do after the movie was over, I would wait outside, and I would approach these same little boys. Mm -hmm. And I would say, now that you've seen this movie, would you rather be a middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears – or would you rather stare at photographs of men's genitalia? <laughs> and what did they say? Well, you know, the parents, they got involved and they would, you know, say, you know, leave their child alone. Like it was me that was, you know, acting like a big sissy or something. But, you know, they were probably, their dad was ashamed of, you know, what their child was going to say after seeing that movie. <laughs> and what, what kind of responses did you get? Well, you know, you know, get the, Fuck away from my, can I say that on the, your, <laughs> yeah, that's all know, right. Fuck away from my child or, you know, you <laughs> fucking freak, you know, things like that. You know, they're taking their, yeah, did their you try to, yeah, they're did you try to children. explain you're a scientist? I, I, well, I tried, you know, but people, they don't want to listen. Yeah. Yeah. I could see how, as a father, I might be upset if Stud Manley from the uh, green room, the uh, movie reviewer came up and asked my kid if he wanted to see some genitalia, they might take it the wrong way. I can I could understand that, but I think if people were more open-minded, <laughs> that's a problem. People are not open-minded enough. Stud, I, I don't really have an open mind when it comes to what I want to see. I, I 
I heard about this movie, The Master, and to be honest, I'm not really that interested in seeing it. I don't know. Did you were you able to see that? Uh, no, uh, Sean, I'm not interested in in seeing this <laughs> film. Uh, so I love it, but you can still review it, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> now the the movie we you've, you've heard of the movie. It's uh it's got some good actors. The di- director of this movie is a fairly preposterous person himself, but the actors, you know, they have some good actors here. They have Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And Amy Adams, who's quite uh, quite lovely, but they also have in this movie uh, a gentleman by the name of Joaquin Phoenix. And uh, I can't see a movie uh, with Joaquin Phoenix in it because his, I find his shoulders are emotionally disturbing. <laughs> now, what's so disturbing about his shoulders? Well, I mean, they just don't look like real, you know, like real person's shoulders. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he should. I'm not saying there's anything the matter with being a freak, but his shoulders should probably be in like a freak show. I, you've only been out here about eight years in in Los Angeles. Yeah. But if you would have been out here in the '90s, you would have seen if you went to Venice Beach, you know, they used to have these little African American torso people, you know, uh, you know, with their boom boxes and they were dancing trying to get money. And I found that emotionally disturbing, and so did some of the hippies, and uh, the hippies uh, made the uh, torso people leave. And I have the oh, same wow. feeling. And I think some of your audience, if they saw Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix without a shirt on, I think they would feel the same way. They'd be emotionally disturbed. Yes. Well, we can't see the master, and I know you're connected to Hollywood. Stud, do you have any ideas? I know a lot of people in the industry listen to the podcast. Do you have any ideas that might they might be able to use, maybe a concept that you think might work moving forward, something that the people would really want to see? Oh, my God. I'm so happy that you asked it, Sean. Because there's something I've been thinking about, and I think you want to get involved in this too. Yeah. And what it is, we're all familiar. You're, you're a sophisticated audience. I'm, all, I'm sure they're familiar with the Human Centipede movies. They have Human Centipede 1 and Human Centipede 2 already. Yep. And these movies are basically, they're like horror, horror movies. And, you know, people getting their mad doctors and crazy people are attaching people's mouths to other people's anuses, you know, and those people have to <laughs> defecate in those other people's mouths. And it's yeah. really, you know, it's kind of a creepy movie, I guess. But what I was thinking is to make this movie a comedy, okay? Huh, okay. And, and guess who I would have starring in this movie? I, I, You know, comedy, I'm thinking Adam Sandler, Kevin James, Jack Black. Well, those are those are good ideas, but how about Richard Gere? Okay. Wow. I <laughs> see, and that's kind of the, against type. Yes, and the ironic part about this, if Richard Gere was in the Human Centipede, you know, and when he's supposed to defecate in the other person's mouth behind him, you know, it probably wouldn't be poop, you know, coming out of his bottom. It would be a gerbil. Okay, all right. What do you think? That's pretty funny. You know, and then the person who has that gerbil in his mouth, you know, he can't talk, you know, because his mouth's full, but he's going to be saying, hey, man, you know, I was expecting some poop over here, you know, and I got this gerbil in my mouth. Okay, you know, that would, you know, and if Richard Gere doesn't want to be in a comedy you know we could get like one of those actors from glee or something you know they could pretend to be richard gear what do you think i think i think you have a hit on your hands stud and i, I think uh i think hollywood's gonna rebound with the centipede three pitch you oh, just threw you. out thank you so much all right well oh let's see do we have um now i, I don't know some people like to switch it up a little bit. Have you heard? Of, I, I watch a lot of docs on Netflix. Do you have oh, any have any recommendations? Yeah. Well, I have a recommendation of of one particular documentary that I suggest that nobody see. I mean, there's no good ones out there really. Anyway, oh. Okay. But there's one that I particularly have a distaste for, and that is a documentary uh, called Hellbound, Sean. Oh. And uh, what this film is about, it's. <laughs> You know, people are doubting that there's a hell. So, you know, that's what these people are talking about, these so-called theologians and all these people, these experts on, uh, you know, uh, on the, the afterlife. And they're saying there's no hell. So if there's no hell, you know, that there can't be a heaven. That only makes sense. Yeah. And uh, do you really think that Jesus Christ would have let those, you know, Jews and everybody, you know, hang him on that cross if there wasn't a hell? I mean, what was the purpose for that? Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all my talent. Thank you, Sean, for letting me on your show again. It was so wonderful to talk to you. Is Logan there or, or anybody? Uh, no, Logan's, Logan, Logan's out and about. I'll send you uh, your well wishes, I'm sure. And, oh, Stud, okay. where can people uh, 
I know you like to tweet out some, you know, people can keep up to date with what's going on at the box office. Throw out your uh, Twitter handle. Oh, yes, I'm at uh, stud with that underscore manly on uh, Twitter. And it's All right. so wonderful well, talking to my fans out there on Twitter. Uh, and the fans love it. And thank you again, Stud Manly. All right. Nice work, Stud. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> nice work, Heather Thompson. Thank you for coming on the program. I appreciate it. Do you want to throw out some uh, plugs? Where are you going to be playing? How, c- how can people check you out online? People can check me out on Twitter. I'm Casual Velvet. Now, what, real oh. quick, where'd, that, uh, where'd your Twitter handle come from? Uh, I think I was just looking at some sort of velour velvet suits one day, and I was like, you know, I'm sort of fancy, but I'm kind of comfortable. <laughs> and I just thought casual velvet had a nice ring to it. Um, and then uh, on Facebook, I'm Heather Thompson. There's no P in the Thompson. That's a real problem for some people. Nope. Otherwise, it's spelled pretty normal. And my website's broken because mobile me became a cloud or something, and I can't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... If you're a guy who knows some websites, maybe hit up Heather. <laughs> follow her on Twitter. If you're a gentleman, maybe uh, check her out. Uh, Logan, you want to wrap things up with a haiku? Let's do it. I wasn't abused, but they made me get a pony. <laughs> Everyone's stupid. All right. Well, you'd be stupid not to uh, subscribe to the podcast on t- iTunes. Thank you, everyone, for listening <laughs> to the Green Room. This, or sorry, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Green Room. We do it live here every week on ShantiGreen.com. Thanks for listening to the. Oh, do I need to do the readout? Uh, yeah, sure, go for it. Thanks for listening to the Green Room. Log on to ShantiGreen.com to access archive episodes and follow the show on Twitter at Green Room Show. Also, check out DocumentaryLabel.com. Cause he thought that he could mold her, but it don't